Welcome once again to another episode of The Wall Behind and Beyond. I am your host, Philip A. Jones. As always, we cover topics that are relative to the world of incarceration, and our goal is to bring information to bear so that those most impacted have access to resources that may help them or their loved ones navigate the criminal justice system. Our guest today is a remarkable young lady who resides in Georgia. She is both a legal advocate and a justice-impacted individual. Her story is unique in that she is a paralegal who works with incarcerated men and women, and it is also how she met her husband, Hector, who is at present serving a 25-year sentence in the Georgia Department of Correction. Please welcome Emily Castro to the show. How are you doing, Emily? Hey, I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. It's so good to have you. Uh, we've been looking forward to talking to you. But my first question to you is, can you please tell us where you are from and a little bit about your background? Yeah, absolutely. So I am born and raised right outside Washington, D.C. I'm the youngest of three. I'm the only girl. So I typically get my way, uh, which is how I kind of ended up in the legal world. I've always taken care of people. I was a teacher for three years and then a nanny for 10. And my brother, my oldest brother, is actually a criminal defense attorney. So uh, I've always had an interest in not only helping people, but making sure that they're treated properly. Thank you so much. Uh, we need people in this field, especially those who have empathy um, and understand that it's more uh, to it than just you know, uh, But mm-hmm. at the same time, there's families uh, who are impacted as well from the loss of a loved one. Right. Uh, I understand that you are paralegal. Can you tell us what this entails and how you came to get into this line of work? For sure. Um, So generally speaking, a paralegal is a lawyer's right hand. We are the proverbial man behind the curtain. Um, We are the ones doing everything. We we do all of the heavy lifting from getting to know the client to making sure that all of the paperwork is done properly to communication with opposing counsel, whether that's prosecution or in the civil world, just the opposing counsel. I got into it because my brother, my oldest brother, like I said, he's a he's a lawyer and he had been begging me for years to just take a single paralegal class. And so from my very first class, I fell in love with it and knew that that was my calling. And so once I finished my studies, my, my oldest brother uh, actually found me my first job down here in Georgia. So I picked up with with a week's notice and picked up my entire life and moved down here. Actually, three years ago today was when I started at my first firm here in Georgia. So it's kind of great that we're doing this on my third anniversary of being in Georgia. <laughs> That's an awesome thing. You know, you, uh, you had the courage of your convictions and you packed up and left because of the opportunity and also mm-hmm. because it was something that you was passionate about. You know, I like that. People need to go where they're called and take them. And um, so you ended up in Georgia. That's awesome. How did you come to know about the Wall Behind and Beyond podcast? Uh, actually, one of my girlfriends, Erica, was a guest on your show a while back. Um, she actually was a prior client of mine and is the reason I met my husband. She has been talking to me about getting more vocal for the last few years, and she, she just like my brother, finally broke me down and put me in contact with, with you and your Erica. So, and I'm, I couldn't be happier. Absolutely. And Erica is a powerhouse, too. You know, we're still <laughs> friends also, and um, she talks to me 
and tells me what's going on down there with her husband and everything. And uh, oh, geez, she's yeah. an advocate for real, and she is definitely representing uh, when it comes to uh, advocates on the outside uh, mm-hmm. because it's dealing with those on the inside. So, yeah, she's a, she's a powerhouse. So from your bio, I see that you have a husband who is incarcerated. Can you tell us about him and what you can about his case? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my husband's name is Hector. He is in for a drug trafficking charge. This is his third drug charge here in the state. He was, his dad was uh, in and out of prison for a lot of his formative years. And we all know that, you know, when, when there's an absent parent, sometimes kids don't do what they should do, which is be kids. And that's what my husband did. Um, at a really young age, he chose to figure out how to take care of his family, which which meant dropping out of school and um, turning to nefarious activities like selling drugs and other actions that he shouldn't have done at 11 and 12 years old. And so at 28, he's finally, this is his biggest charge, got involved with somebody who he thought he could trust, and they set him up on on a confidential informant type situation, and my husband got busted attempting to sell heroin to uh, an undercover police officer. It's a sad thing. Well, you know, I often tell people, you know, that's how it was for me, you know, coming up in poverty. Um, you know, I was in a single-parent home, um, and uh, my parent was a drug user. And so for me, I had limited options. So I had to go out there and start hustling, um, selling drugs in order to uh, take care of and me and two younger brothers. But mm-hmm. um it's a painful reminder that in our country, um, at times, children are left in limbo when they don't have the security and the protection um, from their parents, um, and they got to go out there and they got to get into a life of uh, hustling and selling drugs, which mm-hmm. ultimately leads us down a path of no return because you end up going into the system. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, why do you think um, your husband was given such a long sentence? So in the state of Georgia, we have mandatory minimums uh, for just about every crime. Um, I'm not well-versed on every single crime that there is, uh, but especially drug charges, they have statutory minimums. So because of the amount of heroin specifically that my husband had, he has a minimum of a 25-year sentence. And because this is his third a drug charge. It doesn't even have to be trafficking, just a drug charge. So he's had two simple possession charges and now this drug trafficking charge. Um, And that obviously has to do with the amount of drugs that you have on your person at the time of arrest. Um, Because it was his third drug charge, he actually could have been given a life sentence. Um, If he had gone to trial, he would have lost. Uh, and he would have been given the maximum punishment, which is a life sentence. Now, he would have been eligible for parole, but in, in the state of Georgia, you never get parole the first time. So his lawyer, uh, me, you know, we came up with a plea deal instead um, because I there was no way I could let him go to trial and lose knowing that he would go to prison for the rest of his life. And so is that considered like a three strikes thing in Georgia? Because uh, yeah. he said he had two prior convictions. Yes, sorry. So in, in Georgia, recidivism is uh, in itself essentially in a charge. It's not actually a charge, um, but they look at it as, you know, modus operandi, like, okay, this is what they like to do. So they haven't learned the first two times. 
So just throw the book at key and whatever other phrases you can think of, that's what they'll do. It doesn't matter if it was a violent or nonviolent charge. You will go to prison for the rest of your life in the state of Georgia if you commit three similar criminal acts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I hear that. You mentioned in your bio that you spoke with the prosecutor and agreed to lower the crime level of your husband's charges. Uh, what does this mean, and will this help him in terms of doing less time or, or what? So... Um, in, in Georgia, and I, I'm sure most states have it, I know Virginia has it, there's a crime severity level chart, and it has, you know, basic charges broken down into eight or nine um, levels. And it and what that means is based on what level you fall in, it, it determines how, how early or late you're going to be eligible for parole. Um, so he was in level eight because of the amount of drugs he had. He was level eight, which is a 65 to 90% sentence served prior to being eligible for parole. And and I just thought that that was a little bit ridiculous because he otherwise would have never come down to the county that he was attempting to sell the drugs in. He, at the time, lived three counties away. The only reason that he was involved in this particular activity was because somebody who he considered a very close friend set up the deal. And, you know, he thought he could trust this person. And so the prosecutor and I, and and I will say he had a public defender. The public defenders as a whole are generally good, but obviously there are bad eggs in every field. His public defender and I know each other very well, and that's why I suggested him stay with the public defender because there's no point in paying for an attorney when you have somebody like me and like my brother who are on your side and, and will advocate for you. So the three of us sat down and had a meeting with the prosecutor, and I laid it all out, and there are some things that I will not go into detail with <laughs> um, when it comes to the conversations that, 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 that she and I had. Um, but ultimately, she agreed to lower the crime severity level by two, so to a six. And so at that point, the mandatory, the statutory minimum for that is to only serve 10 years. But she still insisted on a 25-year sentence. She would not take that off the table. Um, and so we agreed to a 13-year confinement sentence, meaning he, and he would be eligible for parole after a third. So he would not have to serve 65% of his time before being eligible. He would be eligible sooner than that. Um, I do think that when we do go to court for the sentence modification slash reduction, whatever you want to call it, all we're doing is asking for three years to be taken off so that all he has to do is 10 years in confinement. And the reason I think that will happen is because he's already admitted to it, and he does not have the history. He's not from here. So I think it will be approved. Hey, you know, I was thinking as you were talking, that's amazing. And people need advocates like you. People need someone in their corner because what you did was what we don't see a lot in terms of cases such as your husband's. Uh, having someone to go, talk to the prosecutor, bring your brother as a lawyer, sit down, work out some type of way that we cannot go to the extreme or throw away this man's life by not giving him any opportunity. But... I think when a loved one is arrested and charged with committing a crime, the very first thing we need to do is reach out or make contact with the DA's office or state's attorneys. It stands to reason that if your loved one is being prosecuted, you want the DA to see them in their best light. Why not meet with them and see what can be done to restore justice? So I'm very glad that you did that, and I hope that more people that are listening will get involved and then take some type of position so that they can help their loved ones by being mediators in the cause of justice. 
What is your opinion about life sentences as it relates to nonviolent drug charges? Honestly, I don't believe in life sentences for most charges, up to and including some violent charges. Because if you look at anything from, I know you asked just about drugs, but if you if you look at anything, even even the murders. Now, I don't think murder should ever be taken lightly. But at the same time, most murders happen because of an argument. Most murders happen out of passion. It is a one-off crime. They are almost immediately remorseful the second it happens. Should they still serve some time in prison? Probably. But I think generally a life sentence does nothing but create hostility and anger, and it puts the family of the person who is serving in a very difficult position. My husband would not be in the position he's in without me. And I'm going to just be very open about that. Like, I love my husband very much. I am his support. And it's exhausting for me. And I could not imagine doing this for the rest of my life. Would I? Absolutely, because he's my husband. But I couldn't imagine, you know, and, and to see these people who were in there with my husband serving life sentences for drugs, which is a consenting activity. You are selling drugs to somebody else who came and looked, looked for them. You're not forcing them to buy the drugs from you. You're not twisting their arm. You're not blackmailing them to buy drugs. It is a consenting activity. Drugs are very bad, you know, so I never, unless it's weed, I don't ever condone drug use. But it's drug deals are two consenting adults entering into a business activity for each other. Well, I'll pick back up on the other side with Emily. Um, this is an interesting conversation. Absolutely. I enjoyed it. And I would love to talk to anybody who has any sort of questions or concerns. For sure. In a minute. Hello and Happy New Year. I want to thank all of my loyal supporters for subscribing to our YouTube channel. If you've just recently started following the wall behind and beyond, please hit the subscribe button as well as the notification bell. We don't want you to miss any of our upcoming episodes as we have some great show guests to bring you. Please share our show with everyone you know as we approach 1,000 subscribers. Also, to contact me directly, JPay has switched over to Securus Technologies. So download the Securus app to your mobile device and type in my prison number, which is 881-507. This will add you to my email list, and I can see your name appear on my tablet. Thank you, everyone. Let's make 2023 our best year, and let's speak truth to power. Uh, we're back on the other side with Emily Fitzgerald having an interesting conversation and we're even talking about, you know, the sentencing in America and sometimes how extreme it can be. Uh, we understand that you have to pay the price for your actions, but at the same time, how long does that take? Do you want to say anything else before we go to the next question about what we were talking about? I think that as a whole, you know, all of the states need to be on board when it comes to sentencing guidelines. If the federal system can do it, I don't see why the states just don't adopt it. And, you know, specifically regarding my husband, if he were to have been sentenced in the federal system, he would have gotten a three-year sentence. And to me, that's just a more reasonable punishment. You want to punish somebody, put them away for a couple of years, not the rest of their lives. But give them a chance to prove themselves, you know? Yes, yes, absolutely. 
Um, you already touched on this a little bit, but I'm going to ask the question so you can give more details. What are you guys having to make it to maybe getting a sentencing reduction? Are there any mechanisms in the Georgia courts to bring this about? Uh, yes. So I'm working with two good friends of mine who are defense attorneys. They were both prior public defenders, um, and they see a need within the community for a low-cost but high-quality defense for post-conviction work. And I think that it's really great because it makes it more accessible to everybody. You know, my brother does not do post-conviction work, so I didn't ask him. We're not trying to hire a parole attorney because that there's no point in doing that here in Georgia. Um, so we decided to do a sentence reduction or modification, and all we're doing is asking for three years to be removed off his confinement part of his sentence. You know, because those three years, if that is removed, that'll make him eligible for parole this summer. And that means he'll probably be home in the next year or two, which which I would really like, because in addition to a 25-year sentence, he um, has to stay on probation or parole until 2045, but he also has a $200,000 fine that we don't have to start paying until he comes home, but the sooner he comes home, the sooner we can start paying for that. The state of Georgia does not allow you to terminate probation until all of your fines and everything are paid in full. So, unfortunately, my husband's going to be on probation until he's well into his 40s, early 50s because of this. But, you know, that's just something that we have to deal with. So, I'm just looking forward to him coming home. Yes, he needs to be home with his wife and his kids um, and to be able to relive his life and pick up where he left off, pick the pieces up. Um, actually, what is he doing inside you know how does he spend his time you know what i mean like that's important for the listeners so unfortunately georgia does not have great number of classes or activities for the the inmates or as the guards so lovingly call them 1095s because they can't you know be bothered to learn anybody's name um mm-hmm. my husband has been asking so he got to this facility in may of 2021 He has been asking to be put into the GED program and two other classes. Um, He was just able to finish one class. They have not even begun to look at him for GED, which I don't understand, because it's part of his case plan. And he needs to complete his case plan in order to be eligible for parole. So, you know, they don't have a ton of work details. Um, You know, Georgia as a whole does not care about them actually being rehabilitated. Um, they care about continuing to punish them. The latest thing, my, my husband has not had a light bulb in his in his cell since before Christmas, and they just replaced it. Um, so imagine not even having a light. Wow. You know, and he he can have books. I can send him books, but they have to be approved, um, which is an extra hoop that I'm I'm willing to jump through. But I know other people can't afford to or don't want to. I have started sending books to other people in there that he's asked, you know, hey, they want these books, they want this, they want that, can you go ahead and do that? Yes, of course. I've actually sent him a GED book so that he can learn how to do it himself, and I will pay for him to take his GED because GDC cannot be trusted to do what they are required to do. That's awesome. Um, See, that's the support we're talking about. These are how the ladies, the families who are the loved ones of those incarcerated, these are why we are able to keep our heads up, why we are able to continue to push forward, because people care and they support us. 
you know, however long they have to and however hard it, it may be. And so we appreciate you. We salute you uh, for that. What would you like people to take away from this interview? It can seem like a very dark, lonely journey, but you're not alone on it. I understand that we're out here and we get to be in the free world, but it's sad for us, you know, because we're powerless. And I'm lucky to have the knowledge that I have and the education that I have, um, but I am not going to keep that to myself. I don't believe in gatekeeping. I will help anybody and everybody. You know, and, and I, I'm no different than anybody who's locked up. The only difference is I haven't gotten caught. You know, we've all done we've all done things we shouldn't have done, but it's, you know, just something that, that everybody needs to hear. Just because you're in prison, it doesn't make you a bad person. And the people who are waiting for you, we love you. And, you know, we, we are trying, I promise. We are trying. And I'm always available to talk to anybody who needs to cry, scream, or just want advice or anything. So... That's awesome. Uh, and everybody listening, this is what we're talking about. Basic humanity, uh, you know, us, everybody helping each other. Each one teach one, each one reach one. Um, then the work continues, you know. We're all in the same boat, you know. Let's try to make the system work and function for those who need it and also provide resources to help uh, men and women get through their, their time in the, uh, in the incarceration system. But I thank you uh, for sharing your story. Hear Hector in his own words as I ask him a key question. How does it feel doing time and having someone out there on the outside like your wife waiting for you? How does that make you feel? That makes me feel great. It makes me feel loved and appreciated. I can let go around and I know, I know what I have to do and I know what I'm here for now. You feel me? I know I have people that love me and that, and that need me out there. So now, now I've been doing my time here differently. And the main reason is because of my wife, you feel me? Anything else you want the uh, listeners to know before we go that you want them to know about or anything you want to say, last words? I got some loved ones, and I ain't talked to them, and reach out, see how they, at least see how they're doing. I know what it is to be forgotten, you feel me? I just want you to know, man, you ain't forgotten, man. Shout out to Hector. Uh, keep your head up in there. And I hope, man, that you get out soon, man, and get back with your family. The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the speaker or our guests and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of the wall behind and beyond.